right, so let's pray, and then we're going to get at it, all right? Uh, Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for uh, God for today, for um, just being a God who loves us, for being a God who can put a bunch of men in a room who can talk about things that really matter, God, and I pray that you'll help uh, all of the men here to take to heart uh, the lessons, God, that you have before them. Uh, so that they can just be something different when they get home, God. That they can lead uh, in the kingdom. They can lead the ladies who are next door in a way that's powerful, God. In, in a way that most of them have probably never experienced, uh, God. So help us to take uh, your word to heart. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so one of the good things about getting to talk to the guys is that we get to be a little more, uh, maybe a little more raw and a little more real sometimes. And I want to start off by, by, by talking about something that's kind of outside of the lesson that will lead into the lesson. I think sometimes uh, it is easy to go to retreats and carry an attitude into those retreats uh, without even meaning to that is detrimental to your ability to be able to grow and develop. Uh, how many of you guys have been to three or more retreats? Raise your hand. Four or more retreats. Five or more retreats. Six or more retreats. Seven or more retreats. Just any, anything. Youth group, high school, college, eight. Nine, ten, like look around the room, people have been to a lot of retreats, right? And I think that I think that those highs are kind of turn the highs back uh, I think the thing is that uh, that you guys need to realize is that the more retreats you go to, in a sense, the less that you sometimes learn when you go to retreats. And it's easy to go into a retreat, it's easy to go into a church, it's even easy to read the word of God at times as men and look at that and be like, hey, I've done this so many times. I've, I've been there. I've done that. I don't have a lot to learn. And to carry in an extremely prideful and arrogant attitude that, that leads you into a retreat thinking you have nothing to learn, that you have nothing to improve upon. But the problem with that is, is I work with a lot of you guys specifically. I, I, I work in a church where a big chunk of this youth ministry goes to church. And I watch you high school boys. And I work closely with most of your campus ministers. I work closely with all of our church plants, so I get with Jake, and I get with TC, and I get with Brett, and I hear and I see what's going on in your ministries, and I watch those things. I am close with people at Tulsa. So the thing that I know is that I don't care how many retreats that you've been to, the men of our ministries have a crap ton of stuff to learn that's not being applied. So whenever you come to a retreat like this, Come into it with a very humble attitude, realizing you've got a lot to learn. Not only do you have a lot to learn, you have a lot to learn to apply. Because you can sit at a retreat all day long, and if you go to a retreat, even if you soak the things up, but you don't take those things home and put them into practice, you are not being the man that God called you to be. And so, the truth be told, if every dude in here came, who came last year took the lessons that God wanted them to learn last year, applied them to their life, live that out for the past year, this group would look very different than it does right now. And so I want to encourage you guys to take all the lessons from this weekend to heart and put some application to them so that next year you can look back and be like, I didn't waste my time at family vacation last year, but I actually soaked it in. I let it apply to my life and I let it change my heart and show some repentance by our deeds and allow God to work in a way that's really powerful. All right, that being said, today's topic is, is kind of a, a different thing uh, than we've done. Good, better, best, loving beyond the margins. And we're taking this lesson out of Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And Paul's writing this church and he says this. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. 
having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, when you look at this, what you, what you see is you see Paul talking to the church, and he's letting them know, listen, you can do better. It's not good enough to be a good church. It's not good enough to be a good dude, to be a part of a good ministry. But we should always be looking at being like, man, I think things can be better than this. And I think things can be better than that. And always have an attitude that takes upon us. So we say, man, I can grow and be something different and more than what I am. You may be doing good right now, but there is something so much better planned for you if you listen to God's word. And none of us are perfect in our better. We can always be striving to be better yet. And specifically what we're going to talk about today is how can you choose to grow and, and how can God help us love better in a way that will produce more fruit? You notice there he says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. I think most people in here, if you are very honest and you look at the fruit that you have produced over the past year, you would, if you're really truly honest, you would say you're not happy with it. Now there may be a few exceptions to that rule. I know looking at our ministry, there are a couple dudes I look at in our ministry and I'm like, dude, that guy is killing it. That guy has grown tremendously and they have a lot of fruit to show for what they've done. But a handful of dudes, even in a room this size, isn't enough to be able to push the kingdom forward. A train takes a lot of power to move. And the thing is, you have some leaders in your ministries who are constantly trying to be better. They're constantly trying to be, do the best they can in the kingdom of God, and they're pushing. But they can only get so much momentum going without all of the rest of you involved. And I need, we need every man in our ministry to step back and say, I can do better than what I'm doing right now. I can love better than what I'm loving right now. I can love God better. I can love my brothers and sisters in Christ better. And I can love the lost better. And what we've got to do is you need to sit there and you need to let it weigh upon you the fruit that you have or have not produced in the past year. You know, if, if you think if you took last year what you wanted to walk away from family vacation last year, or when you became first became a disciple, and you know how scales, you see the scales that do this, the old school scales, right? Put on one of those scales what you thought God would have done for you and the fruit that you would have been able to produce from the time that you started and then take the fruit that you have produced so far and put it on that scale and what's that going to look like? Is the fruit that you desired to produce when you first became a disciple of Jesus, when you first learned what this was all about, at the last retreat you left, if you put that fruit on there and you put the fruit you, you, you wanted to have on there, would it go, ooh, and you'd be sitting there looking at it and being like, Man, this did not pan out the way that I thought it was. I, I did not at all have the harvest that I longed to have. I think that's where most people in this room would be if we're being very honest with where we are. And I think Paul, when he wrote this letter, God, you know, the word of God is inspired by God. It's, the Bible teaches us that all scripture is God-breathed, right? It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. The word of God was not only written for the people it was written to them. It was written for you. God knew exactly what he was doing when he wrote this down. And so whenever you read passages like what Paul has to say to the church of Philippi here, and he says, I pray that your love may abound still more and in more real knowledge and discernment, and that you may approve the things that are excellent. All of those things that you read there are designed and pointed directly at you. You realize that, right? It isn't just for that church. It was designed and written for this moment for you to be able to apply that to your life. And so what, what I want us to do is be just but ugly honest about where we are, what we produce, and where we want to go and what we want to be. You see, love is the key to righteous fruit. That's what you see in this passage. That, that love, having the right kind of love, 
and tied in with the right things is what will produce great fruit. A love for God and a love for people tied in with growth and development, with knowledge, with discernment, with correct priorities, that kind of love will produce incredibly good fruit. And so we've got to learn how to pray that. So, but pair those things together. So if love is the key to righteous fruit, how do I love best? First of all, I love best when my love includes knowledge and discernment. Now, this is a massive issue, in my opinion, amongst the men in our churches. Knowledge and discernment, wisdom, those things are, should be an extremely high priority. But whenever I look at the way that a lot of you guys live your lives, I hear the advice that you give, I hear the things that come out of your mouths, i got to be quite honest and say there is a, a drastic need for wisdom. There is a drastic need for our growth and our development when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to discernment, and when it comes to wisdom. And those things are things that you can have. Everyone in here is capable of growing in your knowledge. Everyone here is capable of growing in your discernment and your wisdom, but you have to choose that. And Paul's telling him, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Discernment means, it means judgment, guys. And whenever you think about judgment, it's not talking about judgment like looking at someone and judging against them, but judgment to see the difference between things. It's to be able to choose the best and the wisest things. It's prudence. It's wisdom. It's seeing life and all of life's choices from God's perspective, not from your own. And we need some serious discernment amongst the men in our churches. You know, I sit down, we, we recently, uh, I'm sorry, can somebody give me some water for it hit the dry spot in my throat or something? We split our campus ministry uh, recently into those who are basically still students and those who are kind of like not quite yet adults yet, but you are adults, you know you're not married yet, and maybe you don't have a full career yet. And, and it's funny because even that older section, I'll talk to Mikey sometimes, and we'll talk about the discernment amongst the older brothers in our campus ministry, and it is definitely lacking. And, and it's one of those things to where you guys have choices put before you guys all the time about what you're going to do. And the choices sometimes that we make about whether or not we are going to go to bed on time and get up and be productive the next day, or whether or not we're going to be grown men who play video games till four in the morning and then lay around all day, that choice before us in looking at it from a godly perspective instead of a childish perspective will help us learn to be more loving. Because there's not a whole lot of love that goes on between you. Well, hopefully not, unless something's wrong with you. There's not a lot of love going on between you and your controller. But the next day, the opportunities that you miss out upon because of our lack of discernment shows a lack of love in our lives. And we've got to become people who have better discernment than what we have. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. I remember, I have lots of flaws. Those of you who know me well know I have lots of sin in my life and I have lots of flaws. I can struggle with pride. I can struggle with arrogance. I can struggle with being irresponsible and undisciplined. Like, we could sit here, we could list those things all day long. One of the things, though, that I have been known for over the years is having a, a wisdom even for my age, even when I was in the youth ministry. And I remember reading that passage I just read you guys when I was about 12 years old and being like, I want to be wise. I heard a lesson, and I remember for an extended period of time, when I was like 12 years old, praying that God would give me wisdom. 
praying that God would help me to be able to see things different, that I would have good judgment, that I would have good discernment, and I would be able to, to, to learn things and be able to apply them to life and look at God's word and see how it applies. And I 100% believe I was fortunate to be raised by people who were setting the pace for me and have good examples, but I 100% believe that God worked on my heart and on my head in order to help me have discernment. I think if you guys would seriously start praying that God would give you wisdom, he would give it to you. Isn't that what that passage teaches us? I have never in my life lived out a scripture and God didn't follow through on his promise that, that, he, that he said he would fulfill if I did what he said. So it concerns me whenever I see the lack of wisdom amongst the men in our churches and in our ministry and the lack of discernment that we have. And the concern is greater than the fact that you just don't have wisdom and discernment. The concern for me is that you're not even asking God for it in a sincere way that allows him to give it to you. Because if you were, you would have it. And so it's of a great concern to me that we have such a lack of wisdom because God says all you've got to do is ask for it. It's kind of like we're stubborn little kids. You know, a little kid will come up and snatch something out of your hand and you take it back and you're like, hey, you can have that, but you need to ask for it correctly. And a stubborn, bratty little kid will look at you and he wants it bad, but he doesn't want it bad enough to humble himself to say, hey, can I have that please? And so you stand there and you're like, you're not getting it until you, until you ask correctly. When you do, you can have the juice box. You can have the toy, but I'm not just handing it to you until you ask the way that you should. And God is looking at a lot of us and he's like, where is the wisdom? Where is the discernment? You're not asking me for it like you should. If you would do that, I would give it to you. Aren't you guys tired of having the lack of wisdom that leads to the stupid decisions that you make and then you have to deal with the stupid consequences from your stupid decisions because you were too stupid to humble yourself and ask God to give you the wisdom that you needed to not put yourself in that situation in the first place? At some point, men, it's time to be men and not boys. At some point, you make a decision that says, I've got to grow up. I should be reliable. I should be responsible. I should be wise. I should have discernment. God, give it to me. And start begging him in prayer to give you the things that he says that he will give you. Proverbs 2, verses 2 through 5. Turn your ears to wisdom. And concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight. Ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek for them like hidden treasures. And then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. And you will gain the knowledge of God. You want to have discernment. You want to grow in your knowledge, your wisdom, and your discernment. It starts out and says, turn your ears to wisdom. Let me tell you something. It is so frustrating whenever your small group leader or your campus minister or the preachers of your church, the leaders in your church are trying to impart wisdom upon you that would help you have a better life. And instead of turning your ear to their wisdom, you turn it away in pride and arrogance and foolishness and immaturity. If you were to go to your leaders and say, man, do I ever frustrate you? The fact that I refuse to listen to the wisdom that you give me. I guarantee you a good chunk of it would be like, absolutely you do. And he says, listen, if you want to find wisdom and knowledge and discernment, turn your ear towards it, not away from it. Concentrate on understanding. Cry out for those things. Beg for them. Whatever it takes, become more wise. We need our men 
to have some better judgment and some better discernment about the way we make decisions in our lives. See, the world today has lost distinction between right and wrong almost completely. There is no what you can call godly discrimination. Whether or not the world likes it, there is right and wrong. And that right and wrong has been defined by God in his word. And I don't care what the world says is okay. I don't care what the world says is wrong. If the Bible says something different, the Bible trumps the world every single time. And the men in our ministries should have discernment. You should have godly discrimination when it comes to knowing what's right and what's wrong and what decisions you should be making. You should be able to to discriminate between the good and the evil, the right and the wrong, the good, better, and best. We need men who can discriminate between those things and understand them because that discrimination, that godly discrimination, that discernment, that judgment that you should have will affect every single area of your life. It will affect, affect every relationship. Every single one of you dudes in here who longs to get married, every single single one of you who is in a dating relationship or engaged or in married, you need to understand discernment can make that go from good to better to best. If you are immature and you lack wisdom and judgment and discernment, it is going to plague your marriage someday. And not only will it plague your marriage, it will end up plaguing your children. Because you'll make stupid decisions that hurt your wife. You'll make stupid decisions that hurt your children. You'll make foolish decisions that damage everyone around you. It will affect the, It will affect your job. It will affect your schooling. It will affect the food that you eat, the discrimination you have. It will affect sex in your life. It will affect the way you view every single aspect of your life. And if you can learn to have some knowledge and wisdom and some discernment, and you pair that with love, it will go much farther than what you ever imagined. You see, a godly, discerning person understands there are certain questions that you should be asking yourself anytime you make a decision. And those questions that you should be asking yourself should determine the decision that you make. So, if you've got a pen, write some of these questions down because, to be quite honest, you're not going to remember them because you don't know them already because I've seen a lot of decisions that we make. So, a godly, discerning person First of all, ask, does this glorify God? Does this decision that I'm about to make right now glorify God or not? That is a very simple way to make a decision. For you to be able to look and say, if this doesn't glorify God, I know I should be having nothing to do with it. Should I go down the main street tonight? Should I go out and party with my friends? Should I put myself in this situation? Does me chilling with my girlfriend in our car outside of the dorm until 2 a.m. glorify God? As people walk by our car, do they see us sitting in the car chilling together? And what do they think of me and what do they think of my relationship with God when they see that? Does it glorify God? Does it glorify God to stay up all night on Saturday night knowing i got to be at church on Sunday morning, knowing that we need people to help serve in ministries on Sundays? Does it glorify God for me to stay up so so late on Saturday night that I can barely keep my eyes open, not only for the lesson, but I'm not there early enough to serve. I'm not there early enough to care for anybody else. Does this glorify God? Does it cause me to disobey God in any way by doing this? Does it compromise my faith in my convictions. Does it, does it, is it one of those things to where I, I look at it and I'm like, eh, this is questionable. If, if, if you're being called to learn discernment, that means you should be able to see the difference between good, better, and best. Right? 
You should have enough conviction within your heart to be able to decide good, better, and best. You know, there, there are lots of things in your life that you can look at and you can say, okay, is this a benefit to me? Not is it right or is this wrong? Because, yes, to be quite honest, sometimes we use right and wrong to get away with doing things that we shouldn't be doing in the first place. All right? There are things out there that you have no business doing, whether or not you want to put a right or a wrong label on it, whether or not you can slap sin on it or not. The Bible says that you should be able to look at those things and say, what, what's, what's best for me to do in this situation right now? Okay, for, I'll give you an example for me, all right? This is for me personally. When, for, when I look at alcohol, I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys it's a sin to drink. I'm not going to tell you it's a sin to have a drink. I'll tell you why it's, it's, it would be sinful for me to have a drink. I'll tell you why discernment matters in my life. For one, I have an addictive personality. When I find things I like, guess what I do? I indulge in them. All right? So right there for me, that says enough. It says enough for me right there to be like, no, I don't need to be messing with alcohol. I don't need to messing with none of that stuff because whether or not I'm going to say it's a sin to have a drink or not, if I find a drink I like, I'm going to drink it. And I'm not going to stop because I enjoy it. So for me, it would violate my conscience to drink because I know that that's a bad decision for me to make because I know where it will head. I can look not only that, but I can use my discernment beyond that and say it's not good for me to have a drink because I've asked multiple people this. If you pulled up to the Applebee's right down the road from Lindenwood University and you walk in as a student and I'm chilling there and I got a beer in front of me, are you going to sit there and think in your head, oh, Carrie's having a beer with his meal? Or do you look at that and you go, Carrie drinks? I've never had a single person, Christian or non-Christian, tell me I think he's having a beer. The automatic thought is carry drinks. That's all there, that, that, that's just a thing. So for me, it's an example thing. Because even if I didn't have an addictive personality, lots of other people do. That's right. And I don't want to give them an excuse to engage in something that could be damaging to them because they're using me as an excuse. So discernment and wisdom tells me, and the fact that the Bible says leaders shouldn't engage in drinking alcohol, you look at what the Bible says about it. Whenever I look down, I'm looking, I'm like, this is a bad idea for me. I need to stay away from that. Because I'm going to use my knowledge and my wisdom and my discernment. And we can go on and on and on and on and on and talk about all those reasons. You guys know me. I love Walker Hayes, the artist. Like, the, the, the country artist. Love his music. I love the fact he's been sober for years. Love it. Love it. But he has a song out right now called Drinking Songs. And I'm like, how stupid is it for a guy who knows the damage that alcoholism did to his life has chosen to be a guy who is no longer drinking at all, write a song glorifying drinking songs. That's not, there's not much discernment there when I look at that, right? I'm like, how dumb is that? But there are lots of areas in my life and in your life where we do that same kind of stupid thing. And we throw out knowledge, we throw out discernment, and we throw out what really matters, and we don't ask ourselves, man, what's best? Another question you can ask yourself is, does it enslave me? Is this something that will control me? If it's something that can control you, stay away from it. Because you're not supposed to be letting anything control you other than God in the first place. And then does it ruin my witness to others? Those are questions I kind of answered in my examples, right? Whenever it came down to those things. You know, it's, it's one of those things where we've got to become a group of men who say, I have got to grow my knowledge and my discernment. And when you pair those things with love, it can go a long way. You know, like, the thing is, you might say you love people, right? 
Let's tie the love and the knowledge of discernment together. You might say you love people. And there might be things that the Bible, there's a whole passage that deals with this. There might be things that might be okay for you to do. But the Bible says that you have to consider the weaker brother, right? You have to consider maybe people around you who something that might be okay for you might not be okay for them because of where it can lead them. And so, using knowledge and discernment and your love for that person, you will, you will bypass your right to do something because you love that person enough and you're wise enough to know that can hurt them. So you tie love and discernment together and you benefit your brother by avoiding something that could get them in trouble, even though it might not be wrong for you to do it. Love and discernment and love and knowledge tied together benefit the kingdom in a way that is just insane. It is just so powerful when you can tie those things together because it not only benefits you to have wisdom and knowledge, it not only will benefit your family, it will, not, it will benefit the entire church and it will benefit the entire kingdom because you will learn to love people enough to use your knowledge and your discernment and your wisdom to not only help you but to help them. You have, we have to tie those things together, and I think that's why Paul says, listen, I want you to grow more and more in real knowledge and discernment when it comes to your love, that it'll bound more and more. So, I love best when my love, love includes knowledge and discernment. I also love best when it includes knowing what really matters and understanding priorities. You know, a good chunk of our, of our population would claim Christianity. The problem, the problem with that is, is when most people look at Christians, they would call us hypocrites, right? And the sad reality is they are right when it comes to most Christians. Most people who claim Christianity, what they are saying when you claim Christ is, if you're claiming it the way the Bible says to you, is he comes over everything else, right? When you become a, a follower of Jesus, what you say is God comes above everything else. No other God's above him. Right? Pretty clear commandment, isn't it? Put nothing else above me, you can worship no other gods. The problem is, most Christians do not prioritize their life that way. When people look at most Christians' lives, what they look is they look and they say, okay, I see that you love God, I see that you say you're a disciple, I see you say you're a Christian, but when I look at your life and the priorities of it, I see school above God. I see your sport above God. I see women above God. I see your own pleasure above God. And we prioritize things that don't matter near as much. We'll get bent out of shape with people who are trying to do what's right to, to live in a godly way because it's impeding something that we are prioritizing over God. And the problem is that when love and priorities don't match up, it, sets, it, it makes us look hypocritical. I pray this, that your love may abound so more and more in real knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. You may approve what matters more than other things. So how do I, how do I figure out what my priorities are, are? What do I need to ask myself? First of all, does God place value upon my choice? The thing that I'm choosing, is it something that God would value above other things? Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4 says, Therefore, if any have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
I want to start with that last sentence going into this. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I think he says that last because he's trying to tell them you need to set your priorities by understanding this decision has already been made in your life. Right? When you read Romans 6 and you read about what baptism is, it's a death to self. Right? And, and, and doesn't he say, don't you know that all of you have been baptized into Christ, died to yourself? Isn't Like it's almost sarcastic the way he says it sometimes. He's like, have you forgotten what you did when you were baptized into Christ? What you did is you died to yourself. And what he's letting them know here is he says, when you died to Christ, what you were saying is if you've been raised with him, then you need to keep seeking the things above. You need to put the things of God at the top. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. The things that you prioritize, are they things that God would place value upon? The top things. Now listen, I think God designed us to have enjoyment, have fun. I think there are times where we need to relax. I'm not saying every single thing you do, but the things that come top priority, top shelf in your life, are they the things that God would value? And are you using them the way that God would value? I'll, I'll use this as an example. Um, so I was talking to... Um, there's a guy who was a, a Division I uh, basketball player, all right? Incredible basketball player. And he ended up going into the NBA. Um, some of you guys probably know who he is, Deron Williams, but anyway, he, so he went into the NBA, phenomenal player, all right? Just phenomenal. Basketball could have been his number one top priority, but it wasn't, and he showed that in lots of ways. For one, he made sure that he worshiped every single weekend, even when he was in the NBA. He, he understood, and he, he was like, I want to use this as a platform. God gave me this as a gift, but this is the top priority. God is the top priority. He gave me this to utilize it for his kingdom. So what he did was, is he not only did he worship every week, but he knew, he looked at his idea, and what really matters? Does fame matter? Does basketball matter? Does fortune matter? No. And he looked at it and said, my example for Christ matters in this league. And so what he did was, is he looked and said, all these other dudes are all running around with their wives. They're all hooking up with different girls on different cities all the time. So he went and he found a brother in Christ who knew would hold him accountable. He said, You're, he was like, I want to hire you. Your full-time job will be to travel with me. I will pay you and basically to just be with me all the time. Because I need a godly man that's going to be there with me who's going to hold me accountable. Because the priorities that everybody else in this league has is not the same priorities I have. And so I will pay you to be my buddy, basically, to come with me places to make sure I make good godly decisions because he understood prioritizing his relationship with God came above prioritizing a relationship with basketball or anybody that he would run into in that situation. He understood there are things that mattered more than his desires, more than his fame, more than his gifts. And he placed those things above, got above those things. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9. Whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain in Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. You look at this passage, for a lot of people, that they can't look at it like that saying, knowing Christ is my number one top priority. I want to know him more than everything else. I mean, you look at look at your approach to God's word and getting to know Christ. Look at your approach at studying and reading books in your relationship with God and getting to know him better. Look at your approach in getting to know your brothers and sisters Christ better. And then compare that to how much time and, and time and effort you're putting into your classes at school. 
Look at that, how much time and effort you're putting into your practices for your sport. Look at that, compare all of those things that you're doing. Paul says, I consider all of those things rubbish in comparison to, to knowing Christ. He's not saying there's no value in those at all, right? Even when, He even says at one point when he's talking about physical exercise, he's like, there is some value in physical exercise. But some value and a lot of value are very different things, right? And Paul's looking here and saying, listen, I place some value on a lot of things, but comparatively, those things are trash compared to knowing Christ. Where are your priorities at? What do you truly value above all other things? If we value Christ, we wouldn't have a knowledge. If we value knowing Christ and putting him at the top, we would not have a crisis and a lack of discernment and wisdom amongst the men in our churches. Right? Because we wouldn't, we wouldn't have to worry about that if that's what was on the top of our priority list. Because you would be praying, you would be betting for God, you'd be in the word. Your wisdom and your knowledge and your discernment would be going through the roof. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Solomon says, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. And he says, listen, Solomon goes through life placing all kinds of priorities on all kinds of things, right? You go read it. You go read what Solomon says he put value in. And he, over and over again, he's like, I tried this, and it didn't work. I tried women. It didn't work. I tried wine. It didn't work. I tried accomplishments. It didn't work. He, stroke, he, he, he ran after everything, trying to find value and purpose in his life. And ultimately, he comes down to he says, the thing that matters is the fear of the Lord, is a relationship with God. That's what matters above everything else. In the end, if you have that right, the other pieces fall in line. I can't tell you how many men I've watched chase careers, chase money, chase women, chase all kinds of things. And there, there's no doubt there are moments when that's going to make you happy. There are moments where that's going to feel real good. But they're fleeting. And they will pass, and you will end up at God's mercy on your knees. I promise you. So why put yourself through that? Learn to prioritize the things that God would prioritize by asking ourselves, does God place value upon my choice? And secondly, will this matter eternally or is this only temporary? Will what I am prioritizing matter eternally or is it only temporary? John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So here what you're seeing is priorities and love tied together again, right? If you prioritize the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That passage right there tells us, listen, we focus way too much on things that are not going to last. They're just not. They're going to fade away. The things that you think matter right now are not going to last. You know, we have a, a big group of seniors who are getting ready to graduate from our youth ministry and come to our college ministry this year. And one of the things that we've been trying to do is make sure that our college ministry and our high schools are connected. 
that they're developing a good relationship. Those transitions in those ministries are better transitions. But one of the things that we've been talking to Jackson about and some of the other seniors about is that when you're making transitions like that, what you realize is you realize that things are about to change in your life. And so you start questioning things and, different, and valuing different things than you did, even as a senior in high school. Even as a senior in high school, you start realizing, okay, this part of my life is kind of coming to a close. It's over. That's why when you go sometimes to college and you run into people who you would have never run with in high school, and then you run into each other, like you go to a big school and you went to you know some smaller school and you come to a big state school and you run into somebody you never hung out with and you see them, and somehow you connect in a way that you never connected before you when you were in high school, that's because you realize things aren't the same as they were at this, at this phase of my life. Things are different now. And so even at the age of 18, you guys are smart enough to realize life changes, right? Things change. They are not going to stay the same. But there are things that never change. There are things that are eternal that will matter for forever. And you have to decide if you're going to place the value on the things that are going to fade away or the things that are eternal. And you can apply this to so many different things. You can apply this to friendships. There are some friendships that you're going to enter into, and you can get into a relationship with somebody and it may be because you guys like all the same things, except for a relationship with God. And you might get along great playing basketball, and you might both like playing magic. But ultimately, that relationship will be physical, and it will pass away unless you find a deeper connection in Christ that can be eternal in that. When it comes to the women that you date, you can find some little hottie that you're like, that's the one I'm going to be with because she looks so good. But she may not look that good 25 years after you're married. And then what are you going to be, what are you going to be thinking I'm doing? Or are you going to be looking for the next thing? I mean, I was fortunate my wife still smoking hot after 22 years of marriage. But it doesn't always happen that way, all right? And if we can focus so much sometimes on the things that are physical, the things that are earthly, the things that will pass away, and we prioritize the wrong things, and it bites us in the butt later, and then we're going to be sitting there in eternity going, man, why didn't I focus on the things that actually matter? The things that were going to be here forever, because this lifespan is short, and you need to remember that. You need to understand how quickly life, life goes. You know, you, you hear about people dying young and how it goes just way too fast. You guys, I'm telling you, even if you die at 70, this is a short life. You have to prioritize the things that matter. Or even at, 40, at 43 years old, I'm looking back and realizing, I wish I would have had some different priorities than I had before. I wish I would have prioritized more eternal things. I've shared this with you guys before. Marlon and I lost one of our best friends to cancer not long ago. And we missed years of relationship with that dude because I didn't prioritize, Marlon didn't prioritize, and James didn't prioritize eternal things. And I would give anything to go back and have those years back. I'm telling you. Marlon will tell you the same thing. For us to have those 15 years back, and if we would have focused on eternal things as 18-year-old kids like a lot of you are, I think we would have had those. But we prioritize things that were going to fade away. James prioritized things that weren't going to last. And if you were standing here right now, he would tell you the same thing, especially when it comes to women. He was so caught up in a relationship that wasn't going to be eternal. 
because she didn't care about God. And he threw everything else away for it. We've got to prioritize the things that matter. The world and its desires are going to pass away. There's no doubt. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. You've got to prioritize the things that are eternal. See, love is, love is the key to having righteous fruit in your life. Loving God and loving people. And when you tie those in with knowledge and discernment and the right priorities, your fruit goes, it just explodes in your life to where it's just, it's so much better than you ever could have imagined. You're going to see that fruit in your life. Luke 6.45 kind of close out says this. Good people bring good things out of the good they stored in their hearts. But evil people bring evil things out of the evil they stored in their hearts. People speak the things that are in their hearts. God says, listen, what you, what you are taking in and the way that you're living is going to be reflected in your fruit. It's going to be reflected in what you produce. What kind of man are you going to be? What kind of fruit are you going to produce for you, for your spouse someday, for your children? What kind of fruit are you going to produce for your ministry, for your church, and for the kingdom of God? Do you love God enough? Do you love people enough to beg God for wisdom and discernment? Do you love God and love people enough to, to get in your word and figure out the knowledge you need to have so that you can learn to apply that knowledge and it becomes wisdom? Do you love God and do you love people enough to prioritize the things that really matter in your life? What kind of man are you going to be? What kind of fruit are you going to produce? You're making those decisions now. You're not little kids anymore. You are men. It's time to start acting like it. And it's time to start acting like godly men. And if you don't want to be a godly man, get out of the kingdom because that's not what you were designed to be. And you're dragging everyone else down around you. So get on board or get out of the way. Because God has great plans for you. He has incredible things in store for your life. He is longing for you to produce fruit, good fruit, that will last. But you've got some decisions to make about what that's going to look like. I've got decisions to make about what that's going to look like. It doesn't just get easier when you get older, guys. I know you think that. I promise you, it does not work that way. I used to think that too. I was ignorant. I had no idea what I was thinking. Now is the time. Don't waste the time that you have. Allow God to work on your hearts, abound more in love, let your love be full of wisdom, let it be full of discernment, and let it be full of godly priorities, and God will do great things to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, just thank you so much again for uh, the men in this room, God. I know sometimes that, uh, God, I can say things that can be kind of crass or harsh maybe, but God, I, I deeply love the guys in this room, and I know what you've done in my life, and I've witnessed what happens, God, when people don't listen to you. I've seen what it does to their lives. I've seen what it does to their families, what it does to ministries, what it does to churches. I've seen it, God, I've seen the ammunition 
that men who claim to follow Christ but don't really follow Christ, I've seen the ammunition it gives to the world against your kingdom. Now, I pray that you never allow us to become an excuse for the world, but they can look at the men in this room and see the fruit of their lives, God. They can see men who deeply love you, who deeply love your people, God, who deeply love the lost. They can see men who are wise and who have great discernment, God. They can see the priorities of the men in this room, and they can learn to, have, to look and say, man, I want not just a good relationship with you, God. I, don't want, I want it to be better. I want it to be the best relationship that I could ever have with you, and that they will make decisions in their lives, God, that bring that forth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.